Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. I can remember being taught the lesson in elementary school that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Does anyone else remember hearing that lesson as a child? or in school, or from your parents, or whoever, a few people. I can remember being taught that, and I assume that lesson was taught with good intentions. Uh, I, I assume the goal of teaching that lesson is we want our kids to, to be resilient. We want them to be able to, to withstand insults, or gossip, or whatever they might encounter in the Wild West that is elementary school. But as well-intentioned as that lesson is, Anyone who's gotten past the age of elementary school has found out in one way or another that words are not just words. Words might not leave any physical evidence of the damage that they have done, but their effects can hang around far longer, or far, far longer than they've been spoken, than it takes to say them. It was April 2015. I had been put in charge of running a dodgeball tournament on my college campus with, with my friend Rhett, and the bargain that Rhett and I struck was that we would run the dodgeball tournament if we were allowed to, to have two microphones so that we could commentate on all of the action. So we're running the, the tournament this day. It's a beautiful spring day. Everything's going well. We get to the championship of the tournament, and... And we convinced Matt Proctor, the president of our college, to join us in the commentary booth. The commentary booth was a plastic table with microphones on it. It sounds cooler to say commentary booth, and I'm the one with the microphone. So anyway, we, we convinced Matt to join us, and we're watching and commentating, and everything's going well. And I don't know how much dodgeball this room has collectively watched, but I have watched a fair amount, and, and there's always a lull in a game of dodgeball at some point. There always comes a point where everyone's standing around, everyone that's still in the game is holding a ball, and everyone's kind of looking at each other, waiting for someone to do something so that then they can react to it. And, and we had entered that part of the game. We were all sitting there waiting for, for someone to do something. And Matt Proctor, the president of Ozark Christian College, I got in touch with him this week to make sure he was okay with me sharing this story with you all and with our live stream, whoever might be watching. Matt says into the microphone, he says, Well, Rhett, you know, uh, this, this game's kind of starting to remind me of your dating life. <laughs> but what Matt did not know was that in the past week, my friend Rhett just started a relationship with his now wife, Elisa. And the only reason I'm allowed to tell this story is because they are now married, which you'll understand here in a moment. So, so Matt makes this joke, we get a good laugh, and before I can realize, even react, think about what is going on, I say, hey, Rhett has a girlfriend now. And I, then my brain says, hey, your mouth is right in front of a microphone. That, that microphone is plugged into speakers that are projecting your voice to the entire student body right now. There was about 10 people on the face of the earth that knew about this relationship until 30 seconds ago, and now the entire campus knows about it. Now, that story ultimately has a happy ending, but when those words came out of my mouth, there was nothing that I could do about it. 
I'm sure we all have moments from our lives where we wish words could be taken back. Whether they were words that we said or words that were said to us, moments where if if we could have them back, they would go differently. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can do far more damage. And if you have a moment like that in mind right now, if you can, I want you to hold on to that feeling just for a few moments because I think it helps us understand the character and the story we're going to be looking at this morning. Last week, we started this new series called Actors where we're looking at the characters that appear throughout the story of the book of Acts and how they are transformed by the message of the resurrection of Jesus. And the person we're going to be looking at this morning is really the character that gets the the most screen time, if you will, through the early chapters of Acts. And that's the Apostle Peter, like Isaac already shared. But before we can get into Acts, we need to to back up and look at the Gospels. Because the Gospels give us a chance to see the before and after of Peter, so to speak. Peter, like Isaac already shared, Peter gets a bad rap at times when we read through the Gospels. And a good portion of the time, that's pretty merited. But the absolute lowest of the low for Peter comes on the night Jesus is arrested. Just a few hours before Jesus' arrest, Peter made this bold proclamation at what we call the Last Supper, where he said he was ready to die that very night for the cause of Jesus. Peter said, Jesus, if everyone else walks away from you, my own brother included, I'm not going anywhere. But then, Jesus is arrested Uh, The rubber starts to meet the road, if you will. And we'll read from Luke's account as to how Peter followed through on this bold proclamation he had made to Jesus. Picking up in Luke 22 at verse 54. It says, Then seizing him, Jesus, they, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, "This, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You you also are one of them. Man, I, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't know what was going through Peter's mind in this passage, but if you can remember that feeling of words going out that you know as soon as they go out they are doing damage and they can never come back, think about that feeling as you look at Peter's actions in this passage. Jesus had predicted all of this. At the Last Supper, Jesus had said Peter would betray him. Peter said that he wouldn't, and now it's happened. Three different times, Peter has been identified as someone who belongs to Jesus, and three different times, he has denied it completely. And that third time, Peter hears a rooster crow, exactly as Jesus 
predicted, Luke tells us that in that moment, Jesus looks straight at Peter. We don't get many details about how that happened. We're not told how far apart they are. We're not told how long they, they look at one another. But that word Luke uses there, it's translated in the version we read from, look straight at, is a word for when you're looking intently at something. It's more, it's more than a passing glance. So I don't know everything that goes on in this moment, but I know Peter is caught red-handed. There's nothing he can do to come back from this moment. There's nothing he can do to take those words back. And it won't be long now before Jesus is hanging on the cross and Peter is nowhere to be found. So how do you come back from that? I mean, what sort of penance do you have to do to get back on good terms with Jesus after you have failed that miserably, after you have fallen that far? Well, Luke gives us a little detail about how that's possible. He, he includes a detail from the Last Supper that we don't get from any other gospel writer. In the midst of all this debating, the, the disciples are arguing about who amongst them is the greatest. They're, they're trying to make these bold proclamations about how committed they are to Jesus, about who would remain faithful and who wouldn't. And in the midst of all that, Jesus says to Peter in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned... And when you have turned back, excuse me, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knows that before long he is going to be arrested. The disciples will scatter. He will be condemned to death. The disciples are about to go through a trial like they have never experienced before. Jesus says they will be sifted like wheat. In Jesus' day, you, when you got in the wheat harvest, you had to sift through it. You had to separate out what was valuable from what wasn't. And in our day today, the, the place where I think we get the clearest sense of what Jesus is getting at there in those verses is, if we, is when we use a kitchen strainer or a colander. Don't hold it against me if I don't know the technical terms. And I stole this one out of the kitchen this week, so don't tell any of our ladies that I've done that. I'll get it back in there before they even notice that it's gone. And for those of you worried, yes, I do know what this is. I have used one before. I just don't use it as much as I should. But anyway, you put something in here when you want to separate out what you want to keep from what you don't. You put fruit in here so you can wash the dirt and the gunk and anything else on it off so that you can enjoy the fruit. You put noodles in here to drain off the excess water. You put hamburger in here to drain off the grease. Jesus says that the disciples are about to be sifted. They're about to be thrown into one of these. They're about to discover what is valuable, what remains, and what won't. And what Peter's going to discover, what Jesus already knows, is that he won't come out looking as good as he thinks he will. But even before Peter utters these words of denial, Jesus sees the end of the story. He sees Peter's story does not end with his failure. It ends with his turning back and his faithfulness. Not just a turning back to where Peter's allowed to sneak in and sit in the back of the room as long as no one notices that he's there, but a turning back that leads to Peter being the person to preach to the crowd at Pentecost. A turning back that leads to Peter's story being recorded for all Christians, even us, to hear, to know that our walk with Jesus does not end at our moment of greatest failure. 
The message of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is able to turn our failure into faithfulness. And I believe that wholeheartedly because of the transformation we see take place in the life of Peter because of the resurrection of Jesus. If you find yourself carrying regret with you, if you find yourself wishing that you could undo things that you have said or done or wishing that you would have done things that you did not, the message of Jesus says the story is not over. It wasn't over for Peter. It does not have to be over for you either. Because the gospel transforms our failure into faithfulness. And we kind of broadly summarized Acts 2 last week. So to look at the transformation that takes place in Peter, this week I want to try to fly over Acts 3 and 4. So we're after this event of Pentecost. 3,000 have been baptized into Jesus. The church is making a stir in the city of Jerusalem. And one day, Peter and John are walking into the temple. And while they're, they're there, they see a lame man begging. And instead of giving this man money, as he expected, as he asked, they give him the ability to walk. And this draws a pretty big crowd, like you might imagine. And so that is what has happened in the background. We're going to pick the story up in Acts 3.11 and read down through verse 26. While the man held on to Peter and John, the man that Peter has healed is holding on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us by, as if by our own power or godliness we ma- had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you away from your wicked ways. I'm not going to work through every detail of all of Peter's words that we've just read because ultimately I want to get to the fallout from this sermon as well. But I think there's at least 
at least three things we should notice about what Peter says in those verses we've just read. The first thing is that Jesus fulfilled God's plan. The sending of Jesus was not some plan B that God threw together. From the very beginning, sending Jesus was the goal that God was working towards with his people. Like Peter says in this sermon, the same God that called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to walk in a covenant relationship with him is the same God who sent Jesus into the world as the culmination of that covenant. Standing in the middle of the temple in Jerusalem, Peter is not asking this crowd to abandon the faith they've known their entire life. He is inviting them to take the next step because, he, because the thing they have been looking forward to has finally come to fruition in Jesus. And it's because of that message that this man, who had previously been unable to walk, is now walking and jumping and praising God within the temple. So Jesus fulfilled God's plan. Secondly, the author of life was killed but resurrected. I tried to say that more succinctly, but I couldn't, so forgive me. Even though Jesus was the Messiah, he was rejected by those who were supposed to be prepared for his arrival. He was God in the flesh. But God's people decided he didn't fit the bill. He was a creator of the universe, but his creation decided they were better off without him. Peter refers to him as the author of life, yet when he was on trial before Pilate, the crowds decided they wanted Barabbas, a murderer, instead. But his story did not end at the cross. It did not even end at the tomb. Despite the rejection of the religious leaders, God raised Jesus from the dead as a once-for-all demonstration that Jesus was truly the Messiah. And now, as Peter speaks, as we gather in worship today, he is reigning over the universe at God's right hand. He has power to heal the lame like he does in this story, power over life and death itself. And because of, the truth, because of all of those truths, Peter's final point is to trust in Jesus. The truths... Peter lines out in this passage require a response from the crowds listening to him as he is speaking and from us today. The message of Jesus is not a theory to agree with that doesn't really change the day-to-day of your life. The message of Jesus is not something you say yes to once and then live the rest of your life doing whatever you want. The message of Jesus is is something that reaches into every part of our existence to transform us to look like Jesus. Something that we say yes to every single day as we have life in Jesus where we are right now. And it's that message that is the foundation of our worship and our life together. It's the message that we place all of our faith, all of our hope in. We don't gather together for worship each week because we all like to see each other, although I hope you like seeing at least some of the people in this room when you come here. We gather together because we collectively believe God has sent his son Jesus so that we can have life now and life to come. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, this message from Peter is for you. Jesus has come to make all things new, you included. So if you have questions about Peter's words in Acts 3, you have other questions about what it means to follow Jesus, that is what I am here for, that is what the rest of this church is here for. Because we believe that this message of Jesus has the power to transform anyone and everything, and we want you to experience that as well. And that message of Jesus that Peter is proclaiming here is what transformed him from the kind of guy who would make bold proclamations the night before Jesus is arrested and then then end up denying that he even knew Jesus a few hours later 
into this person who is standing in the temple courts boldly preaching the message of Jesus here in Acts chapter 3. It was a dramatic turnaround. And that transformation did not come because Peter realized something great about himself. It's not because Peter gave himself a really good pep talk in the mirror when he woke up this morning that he was able to proclaim the message of Jesus in the temple. It's because of the power of the gospel of Jesus. And that power carries over into the next day. We're not going to read every detail, but Peter and John are thrown into prison after all of this. And the next day they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, the same group that had condemned Jesus to death. And they're told to give a defense for what they've done. So we're going to jump ahead in the story to Acts 4, 8 and see what Peter has to say to them. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Uh, So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name, in the name of Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter gives this testimony we've just read to the same people that had condemned Jesus to death just a few months before. In the first couple of verses of this chapter, Luke gives us a report of the crowd that is there, of all the people that are there to listen to what Peter and John have to say. And they are names that if we've read the story of Jesus' death, we recognize. Peter is preaching to a crowd that is not only aware of Jesus, but is staunchly opposed to him who worked together to put him to death and now are trying to stop his followers as well. And it's before that crowd where Peter stands up and says, Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title. It's the Greek version of that Hebrew word that translates into English, Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the king. And that has been demonstrated at his resurrection. And he is now reigning over the entire universe. Jesus is the only source of life for all of humanity, and he is to be listened and followed before all else. And when the Sanhedrin hear this message, they don't know what to do. They'd like to be able to say Peter's lying, that he's making the whole thing up, and everyone should ignore him, but they can't argue with the fact 
that Peter has healed this man. More importantly, they can't find Jesus' body. This is the same city where Jesus was crucified and placed in the tomb. We're less than a year removed from those events. If Peter is lying about Jesus raising from the dead, it wouldn't be hard to disprove. Members of the Sanhedrin helped put Jesus in the tomb. All you have to do is produce the corpse and the show's over. And they can't. So they do all they can do. They threaten Peter and John. They tell them to stop talking about Jesus. Peter and John say, we got to listen to God before we listen to any of you. And they leave. Because of the gospel of Jesus, Peter's failure has been transformed into faithfulness, even when that involves standing before the exact same authorities who had condemned Jesus to death. And that same sort of transformation is available through the message of Jesus today. Sure, you might never find yourself in the exact scenario that Peter finds himself in in Acts 3 and 4. I'm not guaranteeing that you're going to be able to perform miracles like Peter does in Acts 3. What I am saying is that this story is not a fairy tale. The gospel Peter believed in, the gospel Peter proclaims in this passage, the same Holy Spirit that is present with Peter and empowers the boldness of his speech before these religious leaders is the same gospel that we proclaim today. It is the same Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you and me and all of God's people. The takeaway this morning is ultimately not to look at Peter. It is to look at the power of the gospel taking effect in Peter's life. Before Peter or before Luke, excuse me, tells us the words of Peter's speech before the Sanhedrin, there in Acts 4.8, what we read from, he mentions that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that should call our mind back to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, Peter included, and he gives them this promise. He says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And that promise of Jesus is fulfilled right here. As God is present with, P- with Peter to make it possible for him to speak boldly about the message of Jesus even when he's before a hostile crowd. And that same truth remains today. Our story is a part of a larger story, the story of God making the entire world right, and we become a part of that story through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The power of the gospel is able to transform our failure into faithfulness as the Holy Spirit meets us, even in our weaknesses, even in our failures, to empower us to experience the goodness of God in the message of Jesus for ourselves, and then also offer that message to those around us who need to hear it. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he says that if we think of the church as if it's like a big play, if you can think about that with me for a moment, that Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus by far has the most lines. And we are the extras. Popping in and out of scenes here and there. But that doesn't minimize anything that any of us do. We're invited in to play our part within this story. We're invited in to share the stage with our Lord and Savior who makes it all possible. Just honored to get to be a part of the production. And that should fill us with boldness no matter where we go. If there's a a person or a situation coming to mind throughout this morning that you just don't feel qualified to speak into, 
The presence of the Holy Spirit enables you to do so. If there's someone in your life that you think, oh, they really need to hear the message of Jesus, but they might have questions that I don't know how to answer. They might look at me weird. I, don't, I, I just don't want to bring it up. It's just going to make things uncomfortable. They might not want to be, have a relationship anymore. The Holy Spirit is with you. Don't be afraid to share the name of Jesus because you are not doing it alone. If there's an area of your life or your world that you look at and you think, yeah, this really, this area, this compartment of my existence, whatever you want to call it, it's not in line with who Jesus is. It's contradicting the commands of God. But it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be awkward to try to deal with this. It's easier to just let it be and, and obey partially or, or only give Jesus allegiance in certain areas of my life or certain days of the week. If that's where you are at right now, Know that Jesus goes with you. The Holy Spirit makes it possible to deal with awkward, difficult situations. Following Jesus doesn't just change something within us. It transforms everything about us. And that means we are not left to figure it out on our own. The Holy Spirit goes with us. Our brothers and sisters in Jesus are with us. As we all grow together to be more like Jesus, as he takes us from our failures into our faithfulness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace expressed to us in Jesus that we've looked at this morning. And we have all, at some point or another, been in the position of Peter, of having no hope, being in desperate need of your grace, maybe saying one thing but doing another, maybe uh, having the right ideas or the right words but not following you with our actions or being as committed to you as we would, we would claim. And in those moments, in those failures, in those shortcomings, we rejoice that that is not the end of the story, that the grace of Jesus calls us into life with you. So help us live with that truth. For those of us carrying burdens, God, help us lean into your grace. For those of us whom you're impressing situations on right now, that that your gospel needs to speak into, give us the strength to do so. Fill us with your spirit so that we can be your people and live faithfully where you have us right now. It's all because of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 